Hello, and welcome to Talking Tropes. A phrase which here means two nerds discussing writing cliches, blissfully unaware that their young adulthood nostalgia is all but a cliche unto itself. I'm David. And I'm Hannah. And this is my narrator voice. (laughs) Hi, guys. This is the voice I would use if I was... A narrator, much like Lemony Snicket. Yeah, yeah. The fictional narrator of a series of unfortunate events. Yeah, um, so we've been watching season two of that. Um, Which is good. It is good. I like it better than season one, even. Uh, Yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) But Um, today, we're not talking about the show itself, but really the most interesting part of the show and the book series on which it's based Which is, in my opinion, the Lemony Snicket narrator. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lemony Snicket makes those books. It is a feat of amazing writing and wonderful acting in both the book and the the show. Certainly. That really just makes this show something unique, you know? And TV Tropes seems to agree with us because they have a whole page dedicated to what they call Lemony Narrators. Okay, do you want to talk about that a little bit, David? Um, sure. I mean, it's not super specific, but Lemony Narrators <laughs> simply refers to a narrator who tells the story from a third-person perspective, but in an eccentric, bizarre, or otherwise unconventional style. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Lemony Snicket. Okay. Um, he's a persona created by the author Daniel Handler, um, who is... He An exists, interesting character. Yeah, he exists in the universe of the the story, uh, the story of the Baudelaire uh, orphans, and um, but he he exists sort of like after the fact, and it is his sad duty to tell us the terrible tale of what happens to these tragic orphans. Right. So he begins the story with the ending in mind, and with the idea that. It's just going to be a really depressing book series. Yeah. But he tells the sad story in such an entertaining way that it it almost makes you feel guilty for enjoying it so much. I mean, a little bit, but, like, like I'll say when I first read these books when I was back in, like, I don't know, fifth grade, something like that, um, what I loved was that Daniel Handler has an amazing way of describing things in a way that is both accurate, but in a way that you would have never thought to describe a thing. Uh, for instance, here is a description of a dark elevator shaft. It was darker than a pitch-black panther covered in tar, eating black licorice at the very bottom of the deepest part of the Black Sea. <laughs> yeah, so like... Just a little snippet. Yeah, definitely. Um... So there's one particular quote that that I love. The character Lemony Snicket is talking about his love for the um, character Beatrice, who is sort of this, like, mysterious lost love of his. Um, But he writes, I will love you as a thief loves a gallery, as a crow loves a murder, as a cloud loves bats, and as a range loves braze. I will love you as misfortune loves orphans, as fire loves innocence, and as justice loves to sit and watch while everything goes wrong. And it goes on for, like, a really long time of similar um, types of analogies. Yeah, there's definitely, like, a heavy romantic influence 
on like the character Snicket and his and really the whole story, I guess. It's just this romantic tragedy and it's very emotionally charged. Yeah, it's very Dickensian in a lot of like interesting ways, yeah, but it's sure. like playing with those Dickensian tropes and saying like isn't it tragic that the world is like this? And 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 I think one of the best parts about um, this series, either the show or the books, is that it's not really trying to talk down to children. But it is still almost but, educational. It's oh, very, it's incredibly it's educational. It's very strange. It's like they they spend a lot of time explaining uh, idioms and phrases and aphorisms. Yes. Um, in a way that makes children interested in language, yes. but not in a way that sounds like they're talking down to them because it's done in such a humorous way. Yeah, and I think one of the, the biggest ways they do that is with, um, it's usually the Baudelaire orphans who are explaining these things to adults, you know? Right, often. and th- But, you know, sometimes it's just the narrator just explaining it to us right. because I think it's very clear in like the the way that the story is structured that it's about him telling the story to children. Yeah. Well, so so Lemony Snicket is a very dry narrator. Um like not a lot of affectation. Uh very What do you mean? There's heavy affectation. What do you mean? Well, what do you mean? Like he's not like yelling at one second and like like very dramatic with his voice all okay, over I the place. See. You know like yeah. he's He's very subtle, like this, and just yeah. talks. But it's always in such like a a strangely affected way, as if he's like on the verge of crying, or uh, maybe on the verge of just uh, of just stopping narrating altogether. Yeah, like but just it, give, but, he's like on the verge of giving up. But only. But I think it's the the word, it's the juxtaposition between the words that he's saying and the way that he's delivering them that I think works really well, where it's I this see. very deadpan delivery. But right. the deadpan, I think, is correct, yeah. Yeah, but what he's saying is, like, very <laughs> tragic or and or ridiculous. Right. Um, so, real quick, we started this episode with our narrator voices, Um which I think you, David, were very easily able to grab a hold of. Um, <laughs> well, you, are you asking what makes a narrator voice a narrator voice? Um, a little bit, but I, I'm leading in, into a, a particular piece of media. Um, there's a great little movie that I don't know that a lot of people saw called In a World. Yes, very good movie. Um, just about voiceover in general and the biz... Yeah. As it were. Um, so it's it's basically about a young woman who her dad is sort of like the, like one of the three dudes who does the, in a world where tragedy has overcome America, like that sort right. of stuff. Um, and she really wants to do that, but people won't really like give a lady that authority like that authoritative voice because that's that's really what a narrator becomes is this voice of authority and i think you'll see when we talk about other people on this list that it does tend to be a very masculine dominated um well i mean i think it also comes from the idea that it's like the voice of god and god has always been portrayed very masculinely in fiction yes um i'd say the best 
female narrators tend to be um, in the story. They are diegetic narrators. Yeah. First-person narrators. Yeah. There's, like, I'm trying to think, and I feel like female narrators mostly happen in fantasies. Um, I don't think that's true. I think it's just that they usually tend to be... Um, or are you talking about female voiceover narration, like in, in uh, Lord of the Rings? Well, I'm thinking Lord of the Rings, and then the opening of Avatar The Last Airbender, it's all told, it's like Katara. But that's a first-person narrator, so that doesn't that's... count. Okay, I guess you're right on that. If a third-person narrator is supposed to be the voice of God, who better to voice that God than Morgan Freeman himself? <laughs> And I think that goes into why we think of a particular narrator voice is because a narrator's voice has to be something that you're willing to listen to for, like, an hour and a half. Yeah. And you really need to have a, 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 a deep, soothing voice or a calm, light voice in order to sustain that over the course of an entire narrative. Yeah. Plus, you don't want to listen to a shrill Hillary Clinton type. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just saying that you have to have a particular kind of voice, whether you're a man or a woman, yes. to do voiceover. Yes. But yeah, Morgan Freeman is is widely considered the voice of God by by a lot of people. Um, um, and in his most famous voiceover role that isn't like a documentary, um, the Shawshank Redemption, yeah. I feel like that's where most of the, the iconic quotes from that movie come from. It's from his narration. It's from his narration. Yeah. Like, yes, one of the other characters says you either get busy living or get busy dying, but it's, it's Morgan Freeman saying it. That's iconic. And uh, when he when he says like I'm the guy who can get you things, I can yeah. reefer if that's your if that's your cup of tea. He's <laughs> like his his patois, um, which feels somewhat inauthentic, but also very charming. Yeah, I think that's what people remember about Shawshank, and that's what makes it a lot of people's like favorite movie. Yeah, there aren't. Um a lot of movies, I think, with narration are actually no. I'm gonna totally reverse that thought. There's um, a lot of movies with narration, but a lot of well, them no, are no, based no. on books. Yes, a lot of them are based on books, but I think a lot of movies with narration tend to be people's favorites. Um, that might be true. It, it might have something to do with the fact that it, it it gives an ease of communicating information to the audience. Yeah. Um, the screenwriter doesn't really have to try as hard to represent things, uh, visually. You can just tell the audience. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, y you know, because you can give them, like, a voice or something that is immediately attractive, you, you don't have to worry about the show-don't-tell aspect of it. Right. Um, what, what other movies are, are people's favorites that have narration? Well, I don't know about other people, but one of my favorite films of all time is Stranger Than Fiction. Um, and very, that, very funny, very moving, touching film by Will, with Will Ferrell. Yeah, honestly, my favorite Will Ferrell performance ever. Um, 
<laughs> which like most people who like Will Ferrell are like, what the fuck is this movie? Because he's not like goofy in it. He really plays the straight man, sort of. Yeah. Um, but in a very like relatable way. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't expect it from such a goof man. Yeah, but he, he nails it. Um, but anyway, the, the plot of Stranger Than Fiction is that uh, this man, Harold Crick, starts hearing a narrator. Uh, he starts hearing a woman's voice, and she seems to be narrating his life and knows all these intimate details about him that no one else could possibly know. He has to sort of figure out what's going on. Yeah, the conflict of the movie really starts to come about when he's told, little did he know... This small and innocuous action would lead to his eventual demise or something like that. Right, and so it kind of lampshades the idea of the omniscient narrator is so aware of what's going to happen, even if it's like a tragic action... And they're often very blasé about it. Yeah, and and so half of the the story is about Harold sort of trying to come to stop slash come to terms with his imminent demise. Um, And then also with the writer who's writing his story um, to sort of come to terms with, has she been killing these people? unintentionally like it's really the meta narrative of it is obviously like what kind of endings do we write for our characters because when we're writing the ends of characters we're really writing our own stories yeah and so if you're writing your own story as a, a series of tragedies or a series of unfortunate events um what are you really saying about your own life right and and i think Again, they can all be made, like, to a point. And, and it's the sort of thing where I think Lemony Snicket, like, if we compare Lemony Snicket, the narrator, with Karen Eiffel, the narrator in Stranger Than Fiction, um, I think both are eventually become aware that what they're narrating is true. But in, like, Lemony Snicket's case, it's already happened. He knows from the beginning, yeah. You know, whereas in Stranger Than Fiction, she has the chance to make the tragedy not occur. Certainly. Um, Why don't we talk about some other um, weird narrators in terms of whether they appear in the fiction or or not. So one that I find uh, interesting is the narrator from Arrested Development, the actual Ron Howard. (laughs) Yes. It's unclear in the first three seasons whether Ron Howard is playing himself, he's credited <laughs> as uh, himself. So it's unclear if Ron Howard is playing himself as the narrator. He's credited as narrator in the first three seasons. Yeah. But in season four, the Netflix reboot, he appears on screen as himself as a director and producer. Yeah. Um, working on... The Arrested Development TV show within the Arrested Development TV show. <laughs> yeah, so so Arrested Development is a great example, I think, because um, it's so meta, and right. like the narration is meta. I think my favorite narrator moment for Arrested Development 
is uh, when <laughs> there's a narrator on um, like a reality TV show <laughs> right. that Tobias takes part in. And, yeah, Scandal Makers. Yeah, and the Ron Howard narrator just starts like going Berating in. Berating the other narrator. Yeah, and like how such a bad narrator he is and then at real the end shoddy of the, work yeah and then at the end of that episode he's like and that's how you narrate a story <laughs> right so he takes pride in his work this narrator he has a character unto himself yeah but, similarly to to lemony snicket right um and i feel like uh, uh, again you have that simplicity of storytelling offered by the narration without narration that story arrested development becomes kind of incomprehensible because there's so many balls in the air um pardon the song reference <laughs> um that they're juggling on that show and so many running gags that it's hard to keep track of them all without one character to be kind of the the gatekeeper right we he he acts as our guide through the shenanigans of the blues family right and he'll do a lot of callbacks and flashbacks and, you know, say things like uh, faithful viewers might remember. Yeah. And th I think this is another example of like a very um, deadpan narrator used to comedic effect. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think he does he does a thing a lot where he just says um, he just contradicts what we're seeing on screen. Yeah. So the. The character will say something, and he'll just say, but he really didn't. I care for all my children equally three days earlier. I don't care for Job. Right. And I think, like, it kind of also plays into the documentary film aesthetic that yeah. it's going for. Not, like, the mockumentary style of, like, Modern Family, but it just all seems like it's being shot from afar and recounted from the distant future. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting that way. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Arrested Development? Uh, no, I, I think you, you covered a lot of it. All right. Um, can, can we take a quick uh, aside into the world of teen movies? Let's talk about teen movies. Because I think Record teen Record scratch. <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> I'm in a teen movie. <laughs> you nailed it. Um, there's a lot of narrators. In teen movies. Would you like to name some now? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if you were going to say anything. Sorry. No, I, I didn't. And I don't know where you're going with this. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I just want to talk about some of them because I think some of my favorite teen movies have narrators. Um, sure. Let's start with one of the best, Ferris Bueller. Sure. Ferris like, Bueller does a lot of uh, fourth wall breaks. Additionally, yeah. so he, he he's not a voiceover narrator, unlike most of the other characters on this list. Yeah, he's just a he's just a rule breaker and a fourth wall breaker. I, I think interestingly, deal. it's very similar to Lemony Snicket, at least in the in show. In the show, yeah. Um, the way that they do that is they don't just have the disembodied voice of Lemony Snicket narrating. They sure have him as character show up um oftentimes in frame um like in in the in the same scene as someone but no one else sort of sees him as if he's a ghost from the future visiting the past right. 
Um, in the same way that, like, in Ferris Bueller, he'll stop and turn to the camera and everyone else will not acknowledge the camera. But it's only Ferris who can see it. Right. Um, yeah, so it's a great teen narrator. Then there's a whole slew of, of like, girl teen movies that I, like, thought of. Um, yeah. I mean, Mean Girls, I can see on your list. Yeah. That's definitely a favorite of mine in terms of narration. Definitely. And you do have a little bit of, you know, reality bending there when she compares the, the lunchroom to... To the safari. Exactly. Yeah. Um... So, so yeah, so we got Mean Girls, we've got Easy A, which is just Mean Girls sort of 10 years later. Right. Um, and then Clueless, which is Mean Girls 10 years before, but Of not. course. Um, I mean, they're all playing off those genre tropes and, and trying to capture, you know... High school's hard. Being a girl is hard. What a high school is, yeah. Um, um, one other thing in Mean Girls that I remember is um, when the... The bus hits. Uh, yes. Or, 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 or like, wait, oh, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was something where it's like, what I wish happened versus what actually happened. Oh, um, she, when the bus hits Regina George, she says, like, and then she died. No, she didn't die, but she was like paralyzed <laughs> right. from like the waist, or not paralyzed, but had to wear a neck brace or whatever. Right. Um, so that's a little bit of unreliable narrator. That's a pretty broad topic that we might cover in the future. Yeah. Um, but also just a fun voiced narrator that we can relate to. And it makes the, the film that much more relatable, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Um, I see on, on your list that you, you've written some question marks next to a few examples of narrators. Sure. Um, there, there's a lot of web content out there that does interesting things with narration, um, partially due to the fact that um, you don't have the same narrative boundaries as film. So, for instance, if something is a stupid web comic that went on for a million years <laughs> and has tons of interference of the narrator in the text but it's as the writer himself yeah interfering in the universe mm -hmm. in a comic persona then yep. you might have something like homestuck <laughs> yeah <laughs> listen which because it's so meta and has so much interaction with the fan base the the narrator had to become a character because the forums would just spend so much time talking about him. Yes. So for those of you who don't know, Homestuck is a multimedia webcomic that actually just got a website redesign. Um, ooh. ooh. It's very nice. Um, but you can go to homestuck.com uh, to read it. It's, it's great. It'll take probably a month for you to read it if you spend four hours a day reading it. Yeah, um, if you spend all your time reading it, it'll still take you uh, an exorbitantly long time. Yeah, um, but so it's it's an incredibly intricate piece of writing um, with a lot of intertextual conversation with um, and a lot of like throwbacks and call-outs to the fandom, and it increasingly becomes more and more and more meta to the point where 
the author, Andrew Hussey, becomes a character in the Who narrative. ships himself with other characters. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, tries to fight the bad guy all on his own and fails. Right. And and is Weird very indignant. Stuff like that. Very indignant about it, too, because he's like, I'm the author. Like, I should have all this narrative control. And it's a great way to sort of, I think, show how just like wild things are getting when it's like even the author doesn't really control the story anymore necessarily. Um, and and yeah. I think especially because a lot of Homestuck is very much a coming of age story. Um, I think it's like very important that the character of the author starts to lose power um, as the kids become more and more powerful and sure of themselves and come into their own. Um, and even as the villain does the same thing. I mean, I would almost, I would come to a totally different reading of that, which is, I feel like this is a story all about gods and creation and the power to like tell stories. Totally. I think it's also about that. And so like, having a god who is completely full of himself and narcissistic um, and unwilling to stay out of his own story is incredibly thematically important. Yeah, I I mean, I would also agree with that. Like, that's the thing. There's so many wonderful readings of Homestuck, and they're all very possibly correct simultaneously. Right, because (laughs) the whole point of Homestuck is, like, it's about how you interact with the text. Another web original that might be, you know, sort of on the edge of narration is any media that involves improvised Dungeons and Dragons storytelling. Yeah, for sure. So that includes um, My Brother, My Brother and Me's spinoff, The Adventure Zone uh, by the McElroy Brothers. Which if you or, haven't listened to, you should. Even if you don't, even if you're not big into D&D, I bet you would like this. Right. And then it also overlaps with uh, Harmon Town's spinoff, Harmon yeah. Quest, where they animated um, their games of D&D Dungeons and Dragons with, with celebrities. Friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are other versions of that, too. But yeah. in all of these stories, there's always a narrator and a god, which is the dungeon master. Yes. Um, and they also take on the personas of each of the NPCs, which yeah. I find really interesting because it's almost like there's the god is, in, is reincarnated into the characters yeah. in order to provide extra help but usually to inhibit their progress. Yeah. Um, one one thing that I don't have a lot of experience with personally is video games. Um, but, like, in, in your experience, David, have there been, like, a lot of games with, like, narration that has stood out to you at all? Um, there haven't been a lot of games with narration at all uh, other than in cutscenes because it really just is that games are a different... Uh, format and you don't really need a a narrator as much because it's more about you inhabiting the character. Okay. So having a narrator is almost like putting a wedge between you being in control of the game world and someone else being in control. Okay. 
But that can be used to really interesting effect, like in the indie game The Stanley Parable, which famously has a narrator telling you what you did before you do it. And then you have the choice to either follow their narration or eschew it. And either way, the narrator will reflect your actions afterward. That sounds Um, awesome. It's a really interesting game. And, you know, even if you uh, don't want to buy it, you know, I would recommend looking up playthroughs of it or something. Yeah. It's just really interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, one example of a of a game narration that I can sort of think of is um, this game called The Beginner's Guide. Um, which right, that's a very similar kind of uh, principle. You're you're viewing something through the narrator, but the narrator is is unreliable. Yeah, um, but but I think it's really interesting because you just trigger the narration as you continue to play it, um, like. You know, like it's it's almost like there's like a checkpoint, like you hit a certain thing, and then like the narrator will just start talking, right. um, and it's it's a very interesting experience, I'll say, because when you when I'm used to like the few games that I do play, I you're right, like they don't tend to have narrators, um, so it's like almost a little bit shocking when one just sort of like pops pops up and is suddenly there like oh oh there's someone with me in this thing suddenly um which is a very and it it always feels kind of controlling no matter what because in an interactive story you almost don't want a narrator to be there to to guide you you want to explore for yourself Right. And so it always feels like kind of a domineering force over you. Yeah. And much there, like you feel you feel almost exactly like the main character is stranger than fiction, I would say. Yes. Yes. That's a great um, example, I think. Because you are inhabiting the story and hearing the narrator. Yes. Um, but yeah, so there's a couple of interesting games. If you know of more games with narrator, excuse me, narrators um, that right. do like interesting or exciting things with those narrators we'd love for you to let us know about them right i mean in like rpgs there's always the flavor test text the flavor text which appears whenever you perform an action just a little thing pops up that says yes you're filled with uh determination i'm sorry i immediately went to undertale Um, (laughs) you know so those can be very uh that's a type of narration, but it's less intrusive necessarily. And it's yeah, more... exactly. It's just <laughs> describing what you've done rather yeah. than describing why you've done it or something. Right, which is which is how I feel like um, like the actual play podcast that I have the most experience with is the Adventure Zone. So like you know when that when the dungeon master is narrating like okay so you shoot an arrow and then the goblin falls over and now he's attacking you. Like, it's more just like, this is kind of what's happening. There's not a lot of editorializing necessarily. Sure. I find that as Taz goes on, there does tend to become more editorializing, but in a way that's like very similar to a video game cutscene. Gotcha. Um, so like, it's very interesting how like across these different mediums, there tends to be, similar tropes happening right because they all come from the origins of you know oral storytelling oral tradition you always have somebody telling the story and a lot of times they had to sort of 
clarify where the story came from. Yeah. Um, which I think is a heavy influence on Lemony Snicket. So sometimes, though, there are stories um, where the whole thing is only told through narration. Sure. Um, like what? Like there's no there's no action on on screen or. or... Right. We're only well. So I think you have this on your list, um, and I had it on my list too. Is Welcome to Night Vale. Right. So in a totally audio setting, you can sometimes have a story with no extra dialogue, and that would make all of it voiceover. That's correct. Yeah. Well, it's all voiceover, but also, um, like, we never, we at least in the early episodes of Welcome to Nightmare, I haven't kept up to date with the most recent ones. Um, but, like, the first, like, 30 or so, I'm pretty sure you just don't hear anyone else's voice. You right. only hear Cecil's voice. Um, so like everything you're getting is being filtered through him. Um, there's no other action that we're hearing at all. Like, like we'll hear like a noise, like a cat meow or something like that, maybe, but usually it's just Cecil explaining what's happening to us. Right. And that's something that you really can't have on film, um, unless you have like a first person camera which no one does because it looks awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, because there's always going to be this sense that there is some kind of third-person uh, omniscient character um, that's a director or the camera yeah. itself. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Like, that sort of narrator, I think, can only happen in... Um, audio In form. audio. Yeah. Like, I don't even think it necessarily even works in fiction. Right. I mean, you have some authors like Juno Diaz who choose to not have uh, quotation marks around any of the dialogue, making it right. sound like it's coming from the narrator explaining what somebody else said. Yes. Um, and that's like a, a he he didn't pioneer that. Like that's a that's that's a technique that a lot of people have used. Yeah. But like it does sort of give the sense. That everything's coming from a narrator, but it is different, fairly, than, than Night Vale. Yeah, and, and, like, you do really get a sense, at least on the page, seeing it written, that even if it's coming from the narrator, you you understand that someone is saying it, that it's a different character. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, like, very interesting that this type of narration is very much limited to audio and podcasts and, like, old radio plays and things like that. There's right. there's actually another – I'm sure there's tons of podcasts that do this, but another one that I'm listening to um, called Girl in Space, um, where it starts out like this, and then as the cast and events unfold, um, more people you, – you do start hearing other voices, but my right. – I did really enjoy just hearing um, the, the girl, girl in, space in space narrating her life. Um, right. Yeah, it's very interesting. I don't know. Um, let's just run through some more of these uh, lemony narrators for a moment. Okay. You've got um, the main narrator on Scrubs always has an <laughs> interesting take on what's going on. Yeah, used used for comedy purposes, obviously. Um, in The Princess Bride, both the book and the film, um, the narration is given through a a grandfather and a grandson sharing a story together. Um, 
and they keep interrupting to say, no, this is too, this is, is this a kissing story? Is this a, a romantic story? Um, you've also got something like Winnie the Pooh, um, the books and the Disney film, which have the narrator and the text itself directly interacting with the characters. Yeah. Um, in one of the Disney movies, I think it was the, the reboot, the uh, w- Winnie the Pooh climbs out of a large hole by stacking letters from the text up mm-hmm. and climbing out. And I think that plays into like Walt Disney's like Love the book. book. Yeah. All of those classic Disney stories yeah. that start with opening up a book and zooming in on an illustration. Well, so I think even in the classic Winnie the Pooh, if I'm remembering correctly, when there's like the big rainstorm and the flood, like it comes out of the pages and like washes away a bunch of letters. Like exactly. I think Winnie the Pooh has always had that sort of yeah. textual in the books as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it'll be something like he wouldn't uh, figure that out until the next page, and right. then Winnie the Pooh will say something directly to the narrator. Yeah, like a a great um uh more modern example of that too is the um this book is almost over. Right. Uh, the Mo Willems book. Um where, you know, it's Piggy and Elephant and <laughs> they're like, Hooray, we're in a book or or the monster at the end of this book with Grover. There's a lot of kids' <laughs> books that really love playing with that. Yeah, because I think kids need to learn about the difference between stories and and real life and they have to learn about what is the nature of a book um yeah well and then just like the idea that like they can play with like that books are fun in this other interesting way that like they might not have thought about um and i think sorry just one more example (laughs) from the children's book world um there's uh also the the book with no pictures uh, by B.J. Novak, where the entire thing doesn't have any pictures. It's just funny, goofy words that the book sort of makes the parents read. Um, and, like, look up a video of kids listening to this. It They freak out. They love it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, the Book with No Pictures by B.J. Yeah. Novak. Yeah. All right. Um, I think one of the quintessential narrators that everybody knows about and that and recognizes the the style of is Rod Serling on The Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. Who we discussed briefly in our uh, bottle, bottle episode episode. Um, and he, he just has this weird voice to him that always puts everything in into this surreal style so that even yeah. the most ridiculous twist can seem to have some kind of meaning. Yeah. He He's he's very good at that and and, and even the opening narration of the, the 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 like theme song where he's like you're entering a world of of mind, a world of surreal thought and stuff. <laughs> He does yeah. it better than I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, definitely. <laughs> do you think um, Black Mirror would be uh, better if they had a Rod Serling intro? Um, I think it couldn't hurt. <laughs> we should we should write to Netflix. Well, well, then again, when they tried having a narrator, I hated it. So, which one did they have a narrator in? 
Well, it's a a Tales oh, from the, the Crypt Museum. style narrator in Black Museum. Yeah. Speaking that's of fair. Tales from the Crypt, another that's a bad narrator. Another narrator who uh, you know sort of serves as, serves as the framing device of the story. He brings you into his crypt and then um, tells you spooky stories. One of the like most stylized narrators I feel like is the unnamed narrator from Fight Club. Um, where the fact that he has no name is so, like, emphasized, and then he also has these, like, running gags, like the, um, I am Jack's cold sweat, I am Jack's raging bile duct. Yeah. It was also a little unclear in the movie where that comes from, but it's actually a reference to a Reader's Digest section where they would have articles written from the perspective of an individual's organs. So it would be like, I am Jack's pancreas. And then you would write a story about it, about what a pancreas does. Don't ask me. I never read Reader's Digest. (laughs) But Fight Club is obviously making fun of like, they're so phony. So it takes that and it's like, I'm Jack's smirking revenge. And it just became really pretentious over time as people adopted it. There's also a great deal of narrators, first-person narrators, who have, like, a a dialect or, or something that's really distinctive. A lot of these are real-world dialects, but sometimes the purpose is to come up with your own, like in A Clockwork Orange, where the main character is always talking about blinky, dinky, Cinemax going to the yeah. going to the beady weedy time and the sort of childlike words of this horrifying future fascist state are part of the the contrast that make it interesting. Yeah. What are some things that you don't like about certain narrators? Like what are some pet peeves that you have with narration? Um hmm. Well, so like I'll say this, I don't really like the narrator in Stand by Me. All right. Tell me about that. What what's the, what's the issue with him? Yeah, I just don't think that he adds a lot. Like, like, does it matter that this is being told from a future perspective? It already feels as nostalgic as a story could possibly be. Right. Like, I think it's just like one step too far, and I think. I think I'm not alone in this. I think in general, people are kind of like not into the narrator from Stand By Me. All right. If I remember, maybe I am. Guys, tell me if I'm wrong and you love that narrator and I'm (laughs) crazy. Um, Yeah, like, I don't know. It's just like, it doesn't add anything. I feel like he comes in at like really weird random times that don't, like he's narrating things that don't need narration, if that makes sense. I think that does make sense. Um, I would say probably a similar thing for like Sandlot, where the way that the kids speak is interesting enough. Having like this adult come in and kind of like try to contextualize these childlike experiences, maybe it's just the wrong move. Yeah, it almost ruins the fun. Okay, uh, another, I just thought of this, another example of a narrator that I don't like um, is in this really weird movie that I watched. It's like Simon Simon Bunch or something like that. Simon um, Bunch. Oh my god, no wait. I Let's have to look, look it up. up. Though. <laughs> I don't want to write something about Simon um, Bunch and then we find out there's no fucking bunch to be had. Simon Birch, that's what it is. Okay. Um Simon Birch is this weird 
Christian parable <laughs> about this little disabled boy uh, who, like, just wants to be normal and loved, and it's sort of about that, like, his search for acceptance. Okay. Um, and he, he finds it at the end of the movie, but it's told, it's narrated by Jim Carrey, which, like... <laughs> <laughs> like yeah having never heard of this i immediately know why this is the worst thing yeah well okay it's bad for a lot of reasons but but jim, the jim carrey, carrey narration, is not a christian parable narrator oh like honestly i'd say he does a real good job of sounding very wholesome <laughs> and good like but it just always like, sounds like be, jim carrey i know like, this had to be early in his career. Apparently, it came out in 1998. Like, I don't even that know. That is early. Yeah. Um. But so... <laughs> also, the dad from The Big C is in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the only two important people to know from this movie. Um, but basically, it's being narrated. Jim Carrey, as an adult, is looking back on his childhood. And it's like, he's this kid. And Simon is, like, his best friend. And... It's about their trials and tribulations, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, like, it's just so incredibly, like, moralizing and weird and bizarre. And, like, it ends with Jim Carrey as an adult, like, smiling, like, very Stepford Wivey smile. <laughs> like, like, like with his son, who he's like, oh, God is so good. Like, it's just very weird. Yeah, that sounds very bizarre. Having a mismatch of narrators is good. It really kills the movie. Um, yeah. One 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 of my pet peeves with uh, narration is where like at the end of the movie it turns out that it was a framing device, but it okay. wasn't a framing device at the beginning. So like I don't know, just like in in Iron Man three, where there's just an a post credit scene, like it's just a gag. It's just like a goof, but. It's just, um, it's revealed that the whole story was Iron Man talking to Bruce Banner. Um, okay. And, like, I feel like that trope is used, um, I couldn't find, like, a ton of other examples of it, but whenever that happens, um, where it turns out that the context of how the story is being given is different than you expected, like, it's, it's a twist without a purpose, and yeah. that's, like, a big sin for me, is, like, if your twist doesn't result in anything. Another example of this was the, the Great Gatsby movie. Yeah. Wherein it's revealed that um, Nick is is in therapy saying all this. And You're then right. afterwards he writes the book, The Great Gatsby. <laughs> it's a very confusing twist, and it adds nothing. Yeah. So thanks, Boz. Boz Lerman loves his his uh, his narrators that are uh, both part of and separate from the story. Yeah, but like, uh, it's just the Great Gatsby didn't need that. Right, it doesn't like, need a Moulin Rouge typewriter. No, it's it's fine. A lot of Disney animated uh, movies have more of like a, a Greek chorus type thing than a singular narrator. Yeah. Um, but uh, one that does have a narrator very distinctly is Hunchback of Notre Dame with uh, Clopin, the silly uh, jester man with yeah. puppets. 
And he also um, appears in the story uh, in a confusing way. Yeah, there's there's some interesting things with um, musicals and narrators, too. Right. Um, so I think a, a really easy one that people think of is Into the Woods. Um, right. There's just straight up a narrator who also sort of becomes part of the plot later. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot more mixing of of uh, diegesis, which we yes. didn't really define. But diegesis is just stuff that exists within the world of the film or the the piece of media, and there's a lot more mixing of that in theater. I feel like yeah, um, I like I think my favorite maybe uh, narrator in a musical might be the narrator from The Drowsy Chaperone. All right. Why is that? Well, I like it because he sort of... The the idea behind the Drowsy Chaperone is there's a man who's feeling a little sad, and so he's going to play his favorite record for you. It's from the musical, The Drowsy Chaperone. Um, And he he plays it, and then um, sort of, like, is explaining, like... Because, you know, you don't always know exactly who's who in a musical that you haven't seen, necessarily, that you're just listening to the soundtrack of. Right. Um, so he's sort of acting as, like, I'm here, here's your friend, to be like, ah, yes, it was this person, and they were famous for this reason, and <laughs> uh, they had they had this song, and it sort of goes in along like this, and, oh, I really like this, but the metaphor's bad. <laughs> um, and, like, he'll join in singing along with the song as the person... Uh, as someone not in the musical, you know, but just listening to it. Right. It's not a narrator as God. It's a narrator as a viewer like you. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice because then also at the end, spoilers, <laughs> um, he sort of does end up like carrying them with him. It, it's about like the love that you can have for a piece of media and how much that makes you want to talk about it to other people. Um, like almost so much that you're like, hey, look. I've made a whole musical about this musical that I love, you know, like, <laughs> right, I don't know. Exactly. There's just something that appeals to me about that as someone who's making a podcast about shows that I love that I just want to talk about. You right. Know? There's also, of course, um, the narrator from Our Town is a pretty famous example yes. of like having a really strong character voice and interacting with the story in some way. Yeah, that's that's definitely more of a, a narrator as God, though. Yeah, and in fact, he he's all about the 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 difference between life and death is yeah. really what he's about. Um, yeah. And then there's also, in terms of death and narration, there's uh, the book Thief, which is told from the perspective of death. Yes. So People there's a lot of book. like playing with this idea of of life and death and. And God and man and the God outside of the machine, the God inside of the machine. I think a lot of the times with narration, it's all about playing with authority and truth. And like, that's why we have so many unreliable narrators and we keep coming back to that as a trope. Um, Because we're trained by a lot of media, especially I think storybooks as a little kid, you know, that... Right. Whoever is telling the story is there. Why would they lie? You know? Right. Uh, Why would they be unreliable? Or even in like first person narration from like detectives or something, you know, it's like they're there to try to find the truth. 
but like there's always something that misleads them and so like right th- every story is told from a perspective even god is a perspective of right. sorts yeah which um, is an, i think an interesting lesson to to learn and and an important one yeah i think i'll end with uh my favorite narrator who i kind of skipped um okay. to save for the end which is a, probably the most obvious precursor to Daniel Handler's Lemony Snicket. And okay. that's Douglas Adams in The Hitchhiker's yes. Guide to the Galaxy, which kind of ties everything together. It started out as a radio play. Yeah. So it had to have that distinctive voice. And then it became a book and a movie, all of which the and narration is very important. And a TV yeah. show. All of which the narration is very important for giving you information about the world and for just entertaining you um, in in the midst of this ridiculous narrative. Yeah, with a, again with a really wry sense of humor and a very dry uh, delivery. Of- yeah, I think without Douglas Adams' narration or the Lemony Snicket narration, those books would just be like kind of humorous. But, they'd be pretty boring. They'd but be they'd bad. They'd be pretty I boring. Think. Yeah. Yeah. So, hats off to narrators. Hats off, especially Y'all to comedic great. narrators and yes. metatextual narrators. All of the creative ways that we try to tell our stories. Yeah. Um, if if you'd like to get creative in your story about how much you like our podcast, you can tweet at us at Talking Tropes. Yeah, and uh, try to donate to our Patreon, because we've got uh, a lot of overhead. Yeah, also talking tropes. (laughs) Uh, If you do donate, you might have the opportunity to pick our next topic. Right. You can pretty much just tell us what to do, because we're capitalist uh, shills. We're we're a bunch of sluts for your money. Yeah. So fill the holes in our programming. Right. Um, <laughs> Can you think of a creative wow. way to end this, like, that's related to narration? Uh, the end. And they all lived happily ever after. All right. See ya. See ya.